So we, if you're visiting, then we, we, or if you're, if you're not visiting but you want reminding, we're in the middle of a series on prayer at the moment called Becoming a Praying Church. Uh, and we've kind of gone on, on a bit of a journey so far from the beginning of the new year to looking at first move prayer. Of, of making prayer our first move, so not turning to all the riches of our resources and in the very last minute when none of that works, turning to prayer, but turning to prayer first as our first move and going to his uh, riches and to his resources as our first move. That was first move prayer. Then we looked at devotional prayer and cultivating an honest, deep, intimate, uh, intentional, conversational relationship with Jesus through prayer. Uh, and the importance of that. Then we moved on to looking last week at maturing prayer. And this is the whole idea of all of life's events are happening to us. That's not something that we have choice over. That's all happening. But in prayer, we can, we can shape those experiences into experiences that mature us, that transform our hearts at a deepest level into the likeness of Christ, which means nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. And that thing that looks like a disaster in terms of the upwards and to the right progression of our lives and looks like a holding back, looks like a failure, well, God can turn it around and use it. And that is maturing prayer. It is saying, take this, take this clay, take this, my life, with all of its imperfections, everything that's going on, and would you, Lord, shape it into the pot that you want it to be? And we looked at Jeremiah and the potter's shed uh, there. So in first move prayer, devotional prayer, and then maturing prayer. And today, a bit of a gear shift and to look almost, it's a bit crass to say those are prayers for ourselves. And now we're talking about praying for others. It's a bit crass, but that's essentially the shift um, of the gear that's going on today. Because we're going to be looking at uh, intercessory prayer, praying for um, others. And I just want to talk about the importance of this just for a second, which is to say that the extent to which the kingdom of God extending and growing in your life and in the life of those around you in this area, the extent to which that matters is the extent to which intercessory prayer matters. That's how important it is, I believe. The extent to which the kingdom of God growing, the extent to which you want to see that marriage reconciled, the extent to which you want to see that person healed, the extent to which you want to see that person's business that is cr- cr- crumbling but to be, to be um, restored and to be healthy again, the extent to which you want to see someone come to know Jesus, the extent to which, etc., 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 the extent to which you want to see the end to modern slavery, whatever it might be on whatever scale, is the extent to which intercessory prayer matters. And I wonder if you could, just to ground this right now, almost we did this a little bit with the weighing scales in the time of worship earlier, but just like think of a person that you love, you care for, that right now you know something's not right in their life and you want to see it changed. Think of a situation you've got going on in your life. It might have been the one that was weighing heavy on one side of the scales right now. Think about that. Think about what... you long to happen in that situation. Think about what you think God would want to see happen in that situation. Ground it. Think about that person. Pause there just for a moment. The extent to which you want to see change happen there is the extent to which praying for them, interceding for them is important. Intercessory prayer is perhaps the single most important tool we have for seeing the kingdom of God grow. Richard Foster, an author, puts it like this. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. The sort of theological basis here, just to kind of like ground it just for a moment in this stuff, is, is, you know, we hear Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, in heaven, it's almost representative of God's will being always perfectly, constantly done. And that somehow in the world in which we live, and I think we can all identify with this, that's not always constantly happening. And there is broken and it is cracked and there is suffering, etc., etc. And Jesus says, we need to pray that the kingdom of God, as it is in heaven where his will is perfectly done and he rules and reigns, comes into this, the earthly kingdom, and sees it restored. Would this happen? That is what Jesus taught us to pray, and that is because uh, there is this whole idea of, of the coming kingdom of God. In other words, it is coming, but it's not fully here yet. It has started. There's this parable of the mustard seed. Uh, and there's this sense of the mustard seed is in the ground. It's been planted. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has won over the power of sin and death. He has done that. And he has planted the seed. And then it talks about how this seed then grows. This tiny little seed grows and grows and grows. And there's this historian that says, once a mustard seed gets a plate, hold of a place, you can scarcely get rid of it. It starts to take over. There's this sense in the scriptures of a growing kingdom of God. And uh, we stand in this moment uh, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, empowered by his spirit with the church community around us, but before the full coming of the kingdom of God. Theologians talk about it as the now and the not yet. This coming kingdom of God, and he invites us to sit and inhabit this space right here in the full authority of Jesus with the Holy Spirit in us uh, and, and to contend for the coming kingdom of God with greater and greater measure. How does this happen? One, following the way of Jesus. It really means, when he says clothe the naked, he really means like clothe the naked, like go and actually do that. Feed the hungry, like go and actually feed the hungry. Visit them in prison, go and actually visit them in prison, etc., etc. The orphan and the widow and the lonely and set them in families. This takes our hands and our lives and our money. It takes physicality. It takes our body. There's effort. It's sometimes really rough and sometimes hard work and all of that sort of stuff. It does take our bodies. It takes our lives. It, it should cost us something to see the kingdom of God come. Like It takes our hands and our bodies and our lives and our workplaces and all of that. It takes all of that. That's the first way. But it also takes prayer. And I'm looking at this, that there's an extent of our agency, right? There's an extent to which we can make a difference. We need to turn to prayer. Uh, and so that is the way in which we stand in this moment and, and ask for the kingdom of God, that, pray that prayer, that the kingdom of God in heaven would come to the kingdom here on earth. In intercessory prayer, we're standing between that situation, that person, and, the, and God and the kingdom of God, and we're trying to pull them together. It's this sense in, in the scriptures, the word for peace and, and reconciliation is irene, and it means um, pulling together two things that should never have been apart. Pulling together two things that should never have been apart. The curtains over there, if they're apart, irene in the scriptural sense, peace, reconciliation. The ministry of Jesus, by the way, was one of reconciliation, reconciling all things to God. Was pulling together of things that should never have been apart and so that is what we're doing in intercessory prayer we're holding this person or this situation or whatever that, and, and the kingdom of God and we're saying they should never have been apart it shouldn't look like that it does look like that right now it shouldn't look like that and I'm in prayer going to pull these things together and see irene see peace see reconciliation see the coming of the kingdom of God that is what we're doing in intercessory prayer. Um, here is 
Sky Jathanian author on this, we are not merely passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama, but we are active participants with God in the writing, directing, design, and action that unfolds. Prayer, therefore, is much more than asking God for this or that outcome. It is drawing into communion with him and there taking up our privileged role as his people. In prayer, we are invited to join with him in directing the course of his world. I want to give you a biblical picture for this. Elijah, this is 1 Kings 18. Uh, let, me, let me read it. Let me read it. It's important to just not refer to the Bible, right? You've got to naturally read it. So let's go for this. Uh, this is all after the prophets of Baal stuff, all that drama. Uh, so 1 Kings 18.40, then Eli- uh, no, 141. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Says to uh, his servant, go and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, the servant said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. In other words, he said, go and look at the sea for the heavy rain. And he goes, there's, no, there's nothing there. And he goes, go back. There's nothing there. Go back. There's nothing there. Seven times that takes place. The seventh time the servant report, reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling. A heavy rain started falling. What is Elijah doing? It's a biblical image. And so he, he, he goes up to the top of this mountain, there's significance to high places in the scriptures, we don't have time for it. And he, and he, and he, and he says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. And now there clearly isn't any heavy rain at that particular moment, right? Like the seven, he's gone seven, there's no heavy rain. He hears the sound of heavy rain. And then he bends down, I don't know if you can all see this, but like bends down, head between his knees like this on the top of Mount Carmel. That is what he's doing. Servant comes back and says, there's nothing there. And he gets down, head between his knees like this. He says, go and look again. And he comes back, there's nothing there. And he gets down like this. What is he, this significant posture here, other than giving me leg burn, uh, is, is, is how Hebrew women in those times gave birth. That is how they gave birth. Again, it might be too graphic, but I'm going to stand, sit like this to drive the point home. This is them giving birth. Ah- uh, Elijah, on the top of that mountain, understands something. That in prayer, you are giving birth. You are ushering in. Prayer is like a midwife for the kingdom of God. And he says that, I can hear the sound of heavy rain. In other words, I can hear it and see and smell the kingdom of God, let's say. I can hear it. I know. I read the scriptures. I know what it is. I know what justice looks like. I know what beauty looks like, etc., etc. I know what it looks like. It's not currently here in this particular situation that I'm in, but I hear the sound of heavy rain. And, and he gets down on his knees, on his feet like that, and he prays, and he understands something, that it is a birthing posture. It is a midwife for the kingdom of God. It's an, that I would love you to hold when, you, when we turn to intercessory prayer. That is the posture you are holding. It's this birthing posture. And sure enough, there rises up a... A cloud as small as a man's fist, and then this heavy rain comes. Beautiful biblical image for what intercessory prayer is. It's a priestly thing. Aaron, 
the high priest, Exodus 28, if you want to read this, had this breastplate with the 12 tribes of Israel carved into stones, these heavy stones on his, re- on his breastplate. And he would walk into the temple, into the presence of God, and he would carry these names, these tribes, these people in prayer before them. He's standing there and he's pulling together the curtains. He's, 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 he's getting into the presence of God with these people on his chest, literally on his chest. You've got Jesus, the great high priest, sat at the right hand of God interceding for us in Romans 8.34. He always lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7.25. This amazing mystical image of Jesus sitting by the right hand of his father interceding for you and I. Interceding for you and I. Mind-blowing. Then we get to the fact that like you've got Aaron, this Old Testament picture, you've got Jesus, the great high priest, and he intercedes for us. It's part of what it means to be Jesus, is to pray for you and I. Uh, and then you get to this priesthood of all believers, you and I, who get to us at this point. But you, this is 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, it is part of what it means to be a priest. In other words, all of us, not me, not me, this is a vocation, this is, I'm particularly called out to serve you guys, but we are all priests of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so part of what we are all called to, not just me, but what we're all called to is this ministry of intercession, of standing in the gap, in the not yet, and pulling curtains together, crouching down, giving birth to things, so we see, we, we're going to see the kingdom of God come. Uh, and I want to say that this is, this is I want to pick up two elements in this. Uh, one is that when we do this, it is an expression of love. The second thing I want to say is an act of war. When we do that, when we pray like this, it is an expression of love and it is an act of spiritual warfare. So let me talk about those two things super briefly. Uh, we're in Luke 5 here from verse 17 onwards, and I don't have time to read it all. Uh, but there's this moment where um, Jesus is teaching um, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are all sitting with him in this house. And there's all these crowds gathered around, and there's these friends carrying their friend on a mat. And they want to get him to Jesus. They can't get him there, so they climb up the steps, and they dig through the roof. They're breaking tiles off the top. And they lower Jesus right down. In, uh, lower Jesus right down? Lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. What, uh, uh, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal all those who were ill. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. These friends care so much for their friend, paralyzed. He can't get himself there. They care so much for him that they carry him all the way. We don't know how far. They carry him all the way. And then they get there as another obstacle. They can't get in. They don't care. They love their friend this much. And so they climb up. They carry him up to the top. Oh, there's no way in. Breaking through tiles. I'm not recommending it. I don't know, I don't know what Sam would say if we uh, start doing things here. But like lowers him down, I don't know, risking social humiliation. I don't know all sorts that they're risking in this moment to get their friend, I love the last bit, right in front of Jesus. Absolutely love it. Richard Foster writes this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. So I was trying to say at the start, there's a limit to our agency. There's so much. We will do whatever we can for those that we love, right? Whatever it takes for those we love, we will give our resources, our time, we'll make effort, we'll get up earlier, whatever it is that we need to do 
for those we love. And then there's just a massive gap where we can't do any more. But we love them more than we can do, right? We love them more of that. We, and there's so many situations with friends and stuff right now who are going through. So I wish I could do more for you. I love you more than I can show you actually in this moment. But what I can do is I can pray. And this is the challenging thing. If you want to truly love people, I really believe you've got to learn to pray for them. Our immediate thing, and this is the first move prayer thing, is like, we'll do everything we can. I'm going to show you I'm going to work hard for you. I'm going to bust a guy, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I think there's a call on us to go, I love you that much that I'm going to get back in that position for you, contending for breakthrough in your life. That's how much I love you. I think if we want to truly love people, we don't just share our resources with them and our time and our energy and all of that. I think we've got to learn to pray for people. Intercessory prayer is an expression of love. And then it's an act of war, spiritual war, I should add. There is more going on in the world than meets the eye. The Christian view has always been uh, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And the more we grasp this fact, this reality, the more real the need for intercessory prayer becomes. There's uh, Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 6, 12. Behind the tangible acts, injustices, painful situations we see around us lies a spiritual battle. John Piper, it's, it's, it's like cheesy, but um, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. There's got to be an awakening, a realization amongst us as a church. Like there is um, a, a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes, and we're to engage with it. And uh, you see this with with Moses uh, when the Amalekites um, attack the Israelites, uh, and uh, Moses goes up on a hill. There's a physical battle. It's really a physical battle, like genuinely going on. But Moses, his answer was to go up a hill, much like Elijah. Uh, and pray over it and worship over it, realizing there was a spiritual dynamic to this and not just a physical dynamic to it. And his friends come along and help him do that. That's all in Exodus 17. So uh, I just love the fact that, yeah, there's a physical battle going on, uh, but he engages with a spiritual one alongside of it. It's very lovely, very lovely. I'd love to just get on to praying. So let me, um, there's this, it, it, maybe it just helps you know, grab it. Uh, Celt- it's one of my favorite stories. I told it here lots of times. Old Celtic sort of tale of um, uh, it, the first, when winter starts to draw in and the nights get darker earlier. Um, uh, and we are going out the other side of that at the moment, which is a joy to behold. But there was this story that when the lights would draw, when it would draw in, it would get dark. There was this um, way of teaching children in Celtic households, which was that they would look at the darkness, strike a match, and say, I beg to differ. And they would light a candle and say, I see the darkness, I see the darkness coming in, but I beg to differ. And that is what we're doing in intercessory prayer, this conviction of saying, actually, I I see it, but I, I beg to differ because I know Jesus and I know the kingdom of God. And so I strike this light in the middle of the darkness to say I'm going to contend for light in the middle of it. Karl Barth, amazing theologian, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. It is, not, um, uh, it is, uh, it is a real thing. 
when we pray, we are engaging in a spiritual war. Uh, and it is an uprising against the disorder, the things that aren't right, the darkness of this world. We are striking a match in the middle of the darkness. Uh, Walter Wing would say, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. So intercessory prayer is, is a prayers of love and war on behalf of a hurting world around us. The kind of prayers of love that emerge from catching God's heart for the world. Not just blindly carrying on, like, actually, God, you, you, you hurt, you're hurting right now. You're grieving the pain in this world. I'm going to catch that. And out of love for people, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start interceding. I'm just going to start trying to give birth to the kingdom of God here. And the kind of prayers of war that emerge from us, understanding the, the battle we're in and the authority that we have as co-laborers, this great privilege that we have to co-labor, to co-work, um, co-artists of the world around us with Christ. Amen. Let's land that there.